Welcome to the Quintessential Being podcast. Here, you'll find conversations with epic souls that offer fresh perspectives, cultivate awareness, and invite acceptance for you to experience wholeness right now. Join me, Nikki O'Brien, as I dive deep with these beautiful beings of light. I am super excited to welcome to the podcast Emma Holdsworth from Treehouse Family Counselling. Emma is not only a friend of mine, but someone who I just put in such high esteem with her knowledge about parenting and mothering and all things family, right? The family is so important to us. So she has this beautiful new program, a revolutionary new program called The Roots of Motherhood, which uncovers the story that we tell ourselves about our own unique motherhood journey. And in order to become the parent that we want to be, she helps us unpack that. She does inner child work. She does sand play therapy. She's just basically a genius at helping you unpack your shit so you can actually become the parent that you want to be, that you wish you could be. Welcome, beautiful woman. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Nearly make me cry saying such nice things. Well, you just, <laughs> I've done a couple of little, you know, either group sessions or whatever with you, and I just find your, every time we have a conversation, I find it so enlightening as well as deeply grounding in the fact that I always walk away feeling like it's okay it's never too late I'm okay you know like I'm doing the right thing breathe Nikki because parenting is feels like a bloody battlefield sometimes and you you know most people want to be the greatest parent that they can be and 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 there's so much around nowadays with like what food to eat and how to parent them and do you want to be attachment parent or helicopter parent or you know all these different things and so it can feel really overwhelming and you have this beautiful ability to keep it simple to give back grace compassion and permission that it's okay you're doing it fine (laughs) as well as recognizing you know the stuff that comes up in parenting right (laughs) yeah yeah well uh, yeah definitely I think that uh, perfectionism doesn't exist in parenting and when I look at myself and you know my own journey as a parent that that helps me to go easier on other parents as well because you know we all stuff it up right that's right and I remember back in Oh, I don't even know how many years ago now. I remember you saying it's not about the rupture, it's about the repair, which was like absolutely mind-blowing for me. But anyway, I think I'm skipping ahead. This is going to be an incredible conversation. I'm probably going to cry again because I always cry when I talk to you about parenting. It's so important to me. (laughs) But hey, we're all about showing up authentically. But maybe let's start with your passion to work with people before they even become parents. You specialise in working with women who are sort of late in the first trimester of pregnancy or they're planning for parenting and all that kind of stuff because you're really passionate about unpacking their own parenting, their own motherhood story in order to set them up. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So over the years, I've I've worked with families for about 20 years, like my my whole career, And over the years, what I've come to learn is that so much of the the stuff that comes up for us later in our childhood, through our adolescent years, and even um, continuing through into adulthood and our relationships as adults, harks back to those very early months and years of our life. And the way that we were parented in that time and the relationship that we have um, with our parents and particularly our mothers in those very early years, those formative years, where our uh, the way that we attach to our parents and the way that our parents bond with us has so much impact on how we show up in relationships throughout our lives, how we form our identity when we're coming into adolescence, how we cope with stress, how we how resilient we are, all of those things seem to to relate back to that that very early relationship which is why I I focus on that as my favorite area to work with people my favorite time to work with people is when they're beginning to move into that idea of becoming parents 
I think also there's a real openness in that time for transformation. I think that our brains are changing and, and transforming and our bodies are changing and transforming. And there's, there's a willingness from, from parents uh, who are expecting a baby um, or very early on to look at things more deeply and to understand themselves more deeply because we all have a, a desire to, to mother in a certain way. We all have, you know, that, that, that mother, the mother, I like to call her, within us. And when we can explore what's getting in the way or what's potentially going to get in the way of the mother shining through before our baby is born, then we've already removed so many of those, those blockages or, you know, there's, it's a lot less foggy when we come into parenting. And I can be there then with, with parents in those early moments where those parenting triggers really begin. So those very early months when, when babies cry a lot and they're, they want to feed a lot, so we're forced to be resting a lot more than we might, might be used to. They might, yeah, as I said, cry a lot. They, you know, our, our sleep is, is disturbed and changes because of the way that our babies sleep or don't sleep. And to be able to hold space for parents in that, in those moments and look at, you know, what, what it is from, from their own experience of being in relationships or their own experience of being parented, their own experience of being, of being babies, how those things are showing up in the, the feelings that come up for them in those moments with their baby is like, it's such, it's such a beautiful space to hold uh, because it's really only a little bit of work to do at that time to, to, to get it right or to, to think about things in a way that you might not have thought about. Whereas later on, like that, the older our kids get, the more there is to unpack. <laughs> The harder it is, the more, you know, uh, kind of concreted those walls that are in front of us can become. As, as you said before, I do say often it's never too late. But the earlier we start, the easier the transformation is. Yeah, wow. So can you give us a little bit of a, an example? It can be made up or it can be, you know, one that you've experienced where, like, I kind of want to give our listeners, like, a bit of a something to grab onto, like an example of, of, of a behaviour that you could dig in with, with a mother in particular to kind of to explore, unpack, and then the, the outcome of that trans, transformation then in that period so that that trigger is effectively removed, right? Yeah. So a good example for, for very early, very early parenting is, is a baby who's crying and well, some parents are like they're, they're, um, they're activated the minute their baby starts crying, but for others, and in this example, I'll use the, I'll use the other where we, our baby cries and we make sure they're fed and, you know, we tick off the list of, of their practical needs. So they're fed and they're, you know, they're not too cold. They're not too hot. They're, they're, com- they're not uncomfortable. They've got a clean nappy and their baby is still crying. That's a time that, that parents are often really triggered. And what's, what's often triggered in them is this sense of being, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to soothe my baby um, or something's wrong with my baby. They shouldn't still be crying. Uh, you know, I, there's, I can't handle this situation. I don't, I'm not equipped to deal with this baby crying. And one of the things that, that we know when we think about it logically about crying is that it's just communication. Babies don't have any other, um, any other means of expressing not only their needs, which are all those things that you've ticked off, their practical needs, but also their emotional needs and, and their feelings. And so in, in those moments, just talking to a mum who's, you know, who's feeling really heightened because she's like, I, don't, I just don't know why my baby's still crying. I've, you know, I've done all of the things uh, and they're still crying. And sometimes, you know, I can say something like, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder what your baby's feeling right now. And sometimes that's enough for mums to go, oh, feelings. <laughs> you know, is that a thing? <laughs> my, baby's, my baby's having feelings. I wonder what your, your baby's feeling right now. And the mum might go, oh, you know, oh, maybe she's feeling a bit, maybe it's a bit scary, you know, 
being out in the world. Or, you know, if mum struggles to, to come up with some ideas, then I might give some ideas like that. Or maybe it's a bit scary to be out in the world. You know, baby's only two weeks old and I spent such a long time cuddled up in your in your womb where, you know, everything was constantly wonderful, <laughs> consistently wonderful. Like there was never any, never any blips. I was always warm. I was always comfy. I was always fed. You know, I didn't have to. I didn't have needs, really. They were just met before I even knew I had them. Um, so these conversations around why their baby might be crying and just reassurance for mums in that moment that, you know, babies have feelings. There's nothing that, you, that you've done wrong. This is, you know, this is not really normal behaviour for a baby. And then once baby's settled down and we've managed to calm that moment and mum's not feeling so heightened and baby's not feeling so heightened because mum's listened to baby cry and said, you know, it sounds like you're feeling really scared and mummy's here and mummy's got you and, you know, I might... I might talk a mum through how to support her baby's feelings then we might talk about where that comes from for mum or what that activation is about and we might talk about how that mum's need for emotional reassurance and regulation was met by their parents when when they were little you know we we can't remember when we were a baby but you know I'll ask a mum to think of a time that she was really upset as a as a kid and you know, how did your mum respond and how did your dad respond and, you know, who, and, you know, often adults of, of, of our generation will say, oh, you know, I was told to stop being silly or to stop crying or, you know, to toughen up or to not be angry or to not be, you know, and so there's this sense that there's a part of them within, something within them that believes that it's not okay to, to show your emotions or to have feelings and that stop crying is a, like something that's embedded into their bones, this idea of stop crying. And it may not be how they, how they want to approach parenting. They may, you know, logically have all the ideas and strategies around, you know, I want my baby to express their feelings. I'm going to support them in that. Um, but in the moment, that bit that's in their bones from their own childhood can, can resurface and, when we're exploring that in those very early days, when mums are like, you know, they're cracked wide open, essentially, they've just given birth to a baby, and they're going through this idea of matrescence, where they're, you know, they've got all of these hormones surging, their brains are changing, their bodies are changing, there's so much change happening. Just a little conversation like that can mean the difference to them to how they approach crying. Every time their baby then cries, moving forward, and so that baby then is, is being fed that emotional language. And, you know, mum's saying, oh, you know, well, you're not hungry and you're not, you're not tired and you're all clean. So maybe you're just having some feelings. Maybe you just need a cuddle. And so that heightened bit isn't happening where mum gets heightened, baby gets heightened, mum gets more heightened, baby gets more heightened. And when you think about that then for that baby's entire life and, oh, when I have feelings... There are people in my life who can hold that space for me and support my feelings and validate me and I feel understood by by people who love me. When you think about that in that baby's adulthood and how they might form relationships, um, intimate relationships with others, it's it's mind blowing really to think about to think about that. Like the 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 difference that something that seems so small in the moment could have on a on a human's whole life. That's really why, you know, why I do what I do, because I think, you know, these babies are, are adults soon. <laughs> yeah, wow. And I love how you said they're like just the, yeah, the flow on effect, how that impacts their, even their romantic, intimate relationships when they're an adult, you know, like that's so different to like, no, my needs aren't going to be met or I'm not allowed to yeah. have feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what I would have done if, you know, yeah, if um, if someone had said to me like, oh, yeah, maybe the baby's got feelings because I can vividly remember times when, yeah, you go through the checklist and mm-hmm. you feel like you've met all their needs and then they're still crying and it feels like that definite not good enough. I'm missing something. I'm missing something. It's I'm not, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not enough. Yeah. I'm not capable. I'm not, yeah, wow, which is a, a huge... 
gosh, like just a huge revolution for that. So how did you, obviously through like a lot of research and stuff, you made the connection between uncovering like your own mothering story and then how you parent. Cause I, even now vividly have those moments where I'm in the moment and I'm in my trigger, right? I can, I can, it's like a, and I liken it like a steam train. I'm in the trigger and I'm like, I can hear my mother or my father talking through me. And I'm like, oh my God, like it, 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 it's like it transports you and you've got one foot in, in the, I, I understand now why my parents did the things they did because I understand all the stresses and the triggers that you get as a parent, right? When a kid's not behaving or not doing what you want or whatever it is. And then you have this, yeah. other, you have this other foot in the, in the, you wanting your child's experience to be so different. So mm-hmm. yeah, like how did you make that connection? And if we're not talking about people who are in the baby stage, like how much unpacking needs to happen, Emma? you know, in order to sort of be able to repair some of that stuff? Uh, I think that's a how long's a piece of string kind of question (laughs) because everybody's experience is really different. So I kind of look at it like the, like your, your true, like parenting from your values or your true instinct as a mother is what's at the core. And that's, that's like the goal. And where there's so many different things that uh, like create a layer over the top of that. So it's like, it's almost like an onion, right? And the middle bit is the bit that we want to get to. That's the instinct. That's the, the times when you parent and you go, yeah, I know. I, nailed that. It. That was, I feel like a, you know, I had someone say to me this morning, I felt like, a, oh, in that moment, I felt like a grown up, And I was like, well, because that was the grown-up you responding, right? It wasn't a child version of yourself. It wasn't a past version of yourself. It was in that moment where you held space for your child in a really grown-up way, the adult you, the adult mum, was the one who was responding. Can we just say that again? Because I feel like that's really important because that's exactly what it feels like. And I didn't even really realise that until now. You can either feel like you're responding from your hurt in a child who's effectively having a tantrum just as bad as your three-year-old or you're responding you feel like you're nailing it because you're responding from your adult self like yeah adult self yeah which is your true instinct that's the value that's the mother that I was talking about before we all go into motherhood with that same ideal about how we want to parent no one goes into motherhood thinking, you know, I'm going to whip my kids into shape. I'm going to like, I'm going to control them. I'm going to be shouty mom. I'm going to, you know, we all have this innate desire, which is the mother within us, the, the instinctive mother to be a, a gentle guide for our children, to parent with connection and love, not with fear and hate. You know, those are, those are, those are innate in all mothers, those, you know, I believe, (laughs) I'm sure there's no research that says that, but I believe that, you know, all mothers have the same, the same desires to, to mother from their own set of parenting values. They're not all exactly the same, but we all want to be the, we all want to be the mother and we all have that instinct to parent in a particular way. And yeah, when we are able to parent from that place, then we know we're nailing it. Yeah, I did that, re- you know, I don't know what happened there, but like I did that real good. <laughs> and yeah, the idea that, that yeah, I, I felt like a grown up in that moment. I didn't feel like I was being childish or immature, which is something that mums tell me all the time, that I just feel like I'm being so immature with my, with my kids or like I feel like I'm having a, like having a fight with them like we're the same age. I'm like, because you are the same age the part of you that's showing up in that moment is you at their age who is in front the strong one who is saying now nah, I've got this and they don't have this because they're just a kid and you know how <laughs> whatever they think they've got or whatever safety mechanisms they think they're putting into place which you know they're doing it out of you know the best intentions to keep us safe it is childish and it's not parenting from your values or your instinct and so, and so that is one of the layers that covers that, that instinct is those, those inner children. I like to say children because I think there's one in there from every age that, <laughs> that we've ever been or any age where we, where we felt unheard or yeah. any age where we had a particular trauma 
occur or any age where we went through a big transition and were maybe not supported in the best way, which, you know, we all have that. You don't have to have had a traumatic childhood or been abused to have inner children that arc up because there's no perfect parent, including our parents. Yeah. They weren't perfect. They did the best job they could, but there were times where they, where they couldn't help us to feel heard and validated and understood, or they didn't know that that's what you were meant to do. Yeah. Or there were times where we went through transitions and they weren't able to support us or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And all of those times create more layers of that onion that cover up or hide or cloud our, our instinct to parent in a particular way. And then there are the other layers. So then there is generational trauma that, you know, we might not even know about that's handed down through the generations. There's our mental health, which has been impacted again by all of those relationships and all of those things that have happened in our life. There's what professionals are telling us, which is often different professionals are telling us complete opposite conflicting information. There's the stories that we get from our friends and, and family and even strangers neighbours about how we should parent and what we should be doing. There's the cultural cultural views of not only, you know, our dominant culture, but also the, the patriarchal society in which we live and how that views the role of women, the role of mothers, how we should be, and also how children should behave, right. which has been completely bastardised. <laughs> and so the expectations that we put on ourselves as parents and the expectations that we put on our children as parents are all again layers and layers and layers that cloud that that onion so the point of the onion analogy the thing that I was getting to was that it depends how long it takes to move those things depends how many layers there are of you how many how big your onion is or if you've got Um, like a whole fucking basket of onions (laughs) <laughs> that's right exactly you might just have like the onion that they've put into the show you know the, <laughs> the award-winning biggest onion in the world how many layers there are to remove and how solid are those layers so you know are they concrete are they a concrete wall or are they just a fog that we can that we can just whoosh, once we understand it and can and know where it's come from and and how it's impacted us sometimes that's enough and we can move through some of those layers in that way but other times there's you know we need a we need a pick to chip away at some of those more ingrained um, issues or ingrained core beliefs or ingrained relationship patterns Mm -hmm. so this and and again that's part of the reason why starting you know the earlier you start the easier it is but it's really I think it's about commitment to Mm -hmm. to the idea of of making those changes. And if, you know, that these ideas about, you know, how you were parented and your, your history and your mental health and past traumas and all of those things really resonate with you and you go, right, I know that these are the things that are getting in the way, then it's going to be easier to do the work. Whereas if you're, if you're more like, oh, you know, I don't think it's really that, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not really committed to that idea, then it's, well, you know, I was going to say it's harder, but it's probably impossible, <laughs> really, if, you know, if you, you've got to trust in that, I guess. Yeah, it's that, like that whole leading a horse to water. You can, like, lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, wow. Yeah, but I don't find, you know, when people, are, when people uh, have their eyes opened to this idea, like, most people are like, all oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought of that, but it makes so much sense. It does make so much sense. I also just want to talk for a second about, because it can feel like having these kind of conversations, and this is something that I really felt, and because because we know now, we know the importance of early childhood. We know how much gets fucking embedded then. We know all of that kind of stuff. And so sometimes it can feel like that I'm not good enough, I'm not getting it right, I'm fucking my kid up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that can feel like you're not, you're not removing the blocks quick enough. You're not, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just want you to talk a little bit about if someone's in that same place where they're thinking like, this is another thing that I have to do and they're willing to do it, but does it feel like it's shifting quick enough or it doesn't feel like it's working quick enough or it doesn't feel like, you know, when it feels like this is just another, it's like pressurized on yeah. Yeah. getting that early childhood. Perfect. Yeah. And I know that that's yeah. a word that you would don't like, but um, but you can understand what I'm trying to get to there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that you, you that you have to do things a certain way or that you have to look at things a certain way otherwise you're otherwise you're stuffing stuffing it up yeah or and you're like um, you know and because parenting is one of those things where you don't fucking find out right away what's wrong with them no. you gotta wait 25 35 years and then and then see what they're going to their therapist about and you're like oh well, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that back then. But you know, like it's one of these, like one of yeah. these wait and get, wait and see games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you know, there there is so much pressure on on parents to get it right, and that's always for me been a part of what I don't want to add to. I don't want it to be more pressure, which is where I think that like really looking at where like meeting parents where they're at. And always starting with this idea that there is no perfect parent, and that like something that I learned recently in a um in some infant mental health training that I'm doing is that if we are attuned to our children, as in you know doing the really good stuff, the good connecting stuff, thirty percent of the time, then that's all they need to develop a secure attachment. Mm-hmm. And most kids have a secure attachment with their parent and really that's like the groundwork that's the basis of of it's the baseline of, like, that you want to get to yeah that's the baseline you want to get to so you know we all as parents make mistakes and stuff it up like you know I have an eight-year-old and I'm as a parent of an eight-year-old I'm still a work in progress because <laughs> I've never been a parent of an eight-year-old before and so each you know each time new stuff comes up I remind myself of that this is my first experience of being the parent of an eight-year-old what I know is that I provided her with a secure enough base that she didn't die (laughs) as a baby (laughs) (laughs) a secure enough base that I know she has a secure attachment and that that bit is done and that you know, now I, I'm not experimenting. I don't mean I'm experimenting with her. Like she's, a, she's got a secure attachment. So now I can experiment with her. That's not really what I, what I mean. But that idea that like we, we can, we can sometimes get it right. And we can other times stuff it up, no matter how old our kids are. And if we can always keep in mind that idea that like, if I can tune in to my child and be really attuned to them and you know and give them meet their needs essentially 30 percent of the time then I'm a good enough mother then I'm you know I'm I'm doing good it's this is you know this isn't just okay this is good 30 percent is good it seems like a really low number to me but it, you know that's what I know that's what I was just thinking to myself next time I'm gonna be Next time I'm like having a bloody hissy fit or whatever at my son because that room's a mess or whatever, I'll be like 30%, 30%, 30%. I can just see myself, I can just see myself chanting as I'm walking around. 30%, 30%. 30%. I'll make a so, little ticket. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we can be abusive 70% of the time. It's no. not what it means. No. It doesn't mean that we should be um like in in conflict with our kids 70% of the time, but it means that we can if we're a bit switched off and we're meeting our own needs, which is something I'm sure we'll talk some more about <laughs> in the next half an hour, we can be uh, meeting the needs of our other children. We can be meeting the needs of ourselves, predominantly the needs of ourselves. And we can be just going about our day. And in some, there, there will be conflict in some of that, which, you know, you mentioned the rupture and repair concept earlier. And, and that is, that is really important, but they're like relationships relationships have conflict sometimes and that's you know relationships adult relationships or relationships that we have with our children it's really normal for relationships to sometimes have conflict and when we think about our kids or our babies even as adults you know we want them to understand that conflict happens in the world and that conflict happens in relationships so i think there's you know there's there's several things there around you know, letting ourselves off the hook in a, in a way, I think that, I think, and maybe I'm biased, but I think that, um, that doing this work and exploring ourselves more deeply and our own history and our own past is actually like the key to parenting education. 
essentially. Like, without wanting to toot my own horn, I think that that thing that people say is, oh, there's no, you know, there's no parenting course that we all have to do before we come parent, before we become parents. I think that like you as the parent are the course, like, you know, exploring yourself is where the work is. It's not about fixing your kid or changing their behaviour. It's about looking at your experience and what you're bringing to parenting and that will then in turn change things for your kids. Say it again for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) You're the parenting course. (laughs) (laughs) And just that, like, I love that, like coming back to with compassion, coming back to if you're working on yourself, you're improving yourself as a parent really yeah absolutely you know, yep. I think that's that's the bottom line and really I feel like I just want to like knock it into my brain like there is no perfect parent it's never going to yep. be perfect because you're so right like oh it's like a fucking it's just like a battlefield you mentioned there like rupture and repair maybe we can talk a little bit about rupture and repair because there is no perfect parenting and so the ruptures do happen and how do we approach ourselves and also our child when that kind of shit happens like perfect example last night like I went off my tree because I said to my 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 little boy have you cleaned your room yep mum yep I've cleaned my room awesome about to put him to bed go in there and it's a fucking shit storm. There's shit everywhere. And I just like lost it. And then he started crying and then I started crying and then, you know, everyone's crying. And I was like, <laughs> I think, you know, because of my many conversations with you, able at being able to go in and like chat to him afterwards and like calm ourselves down and talk about it really, um, it helps both of us. So maybe you can unpack some the rupture and repair for someone who's maybe never heard of it before um, and how, because it just changed the game for me as a parent, really. Yeah, so as I said before, all, all relationships have conflict and in the rupture and repair idea, that's, that's the rupture. So when we have a conflict with someone in a relationship, then we, like we, there's a rupture that's occurred in the relationship. And ruptures occur in all relationships and it's okay to have some some ruptures and the the really important thing about ruptures is that is the repair that happens after the rupture so you know if something gets if something gets broken then then we fix it essentially in in that's that's the kind of simple way of looking at it so you know in a case like that where um where you've gone in to your son's room at bedtime and it's a big mess then you know that you you've lost it a bit and and or a lot <laughs> I was gonna say um <laughs> lost it somewhat um, I was my six-year-old self <laughs> I was gonna say the stuff to unpack there around you know your expectations of, of oh, totally. him at six cleaning his room and uh-huh. yes and and yeah w- which part of you was responding in that moment um but for now we're talking about rupture and repair so <laughs> that rupture happens and you respond in a way that that you didn't want to respond you respond in a way that's not parenting from your values no you um your one of your one of your parts one of your inner children takes over and you know says it's not okay in in whatever way you say it's not okay your son ends up crying and then that triggers a different part of you so angry the angry part of you that's triggered gets turned off when you see your son crying and the, the, a different part of you is triggered, the part that, that doesn't want to upset him or that doesn't want to scare him or that doesn't want to see him cry like that. Sorry, if I can just dissect it. It's like two parts get yeah, triggered yeah. then. Like the adult that's like doesn't want to see him cry and also like my sad, Just I just realised as you were saying that, like my sad inner child not being heard or seen or, you know, yeah. comforted. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, so moment, much work, time. Emma. <laughs> when when your son's crying you're yeah that part of you has gone oh you know he wasn't he wasn't seen or heard in this moment and so the angry you that was angry because that part of you was never seen or heard then you know then a different emotion 
takes over, I guess. And then and then you end up crying. And I don't know how it sort of completed. You went out of the room, took a moment or whatever happened, and then you came back together. And it's then in that conversation where the repair happens. And also what, what can happen in those conversations is this idea of, of role modeling or radical role modeling as I've as I've started calling it more recently, where we're working out how we would have liked to respond. And we're telling our child that that's what we're going to try to do next time. So we've come back to them and we've, we've said, I'm really sorry. I did not want to yell in that moment. There was a part of me that just, you know, a, a roaring lion in me that just really struggled with seeing the room a mess. But I never want to be that roaring lion. I never want to let that part of me, um, I never want to let angry energy affect me in that way. Uh, so next time, when I start to feel that rising in me, I'm going to try and you insert whatever it is that you're going to try. And that doesn't mean next time you'll get it right either. It can take a few times. But in that moment, we're not only supporting our child, we're not only doing the repair part for the rupture, we're, we're, we're also teaching ourselves a really important lesson by verbalising that. So we're, and, and therefore teaching them a really important lesson about how we stuff up, we make mistakes and we try and do it better next time. That's you all know, we can do. Yeah, that really just landed for me. It really is like that, especially because you're verbalizing it. It's like you're talking to your own inner child as that's happening mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. okay. And like, you're talking out the process. I, I didn't connect that in the moments of, of rupture repair. I'd connected that in, you know, I when my son's like falling asleep, I'll like say a few affirmations for him. And I often am cuddling him and saying those affirmations. And I feel like they're going into my inner, my own inner child. And so, yeah, yeah, I didn't actually connect the dots that even when I'm doing that, just having that conversation and I don't want to react that way. And mommy's really sorry. And that wasn't okay. And blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that is super powerful. And that's the, like the really important part of repair is that is what we're going to try and do differently next time because otherwise we find ourselves in that spiral of well it's okay because I just always do the repair so I can be you know I can I can scream and yell but but then I say sorry which again is not is not a um you know a norm that we want our kids to go into adulthood with that you know it's okay for people to treat you however they want as long as they say sorry you know what we need them to do is to commit to doing their best to make change. You know, I don't, I never expect that change is going to happen just because we say it's going to, like, I think yeah. we have to do, you know, it takes five or seven or, you know, we're, we're like, I'm really sorry, mate, but I'm here again. And, you know, I, I, you know, that, that lion part of me, it's just so strong and it's just really, you know, it's re- really um, gets control of me and, and I'm really wishing that I could, do the thing that I keep saying I'm going to do in that moment. Mm. And tonight after you've gone to sleep, I'm going to go and I'm going to, whatever it is that's going to help you to remember, I'm going to write it out. I'm going to write it on the fridge or on the bathroom mirror so I can keep remembering or, you know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do some journaling about it. I'm going to draw a picture of it to help try and concrete those ideas into my mind. And, you know, imagine what that like, having those conversations with our kids what that's implanting for them oh there are ways like you know even when things are really hard and I stuff them up and you know I make mistakes over and over again there are ways there are strategies to you know that I can keep trying new strategies to to concrete in this new choice I want to make or this new behavior that I want to try yeah so you know that idea of radical role modeling is you know I'm I'm almost making it up like making up a story for my kid but actually uh it's for me you know I'm really learning something and changing my behavior yeah but we probably if we weren't parents we probably wouldn't do that because yeah. we wouldn't you know we'd have an argument with our partner we wouldn't come back to them and and you know we might repair it by saying oh, I'm really sorry I you know I was a dick before but we won't necessarily go through all of those steps around, yeah. you know, what I need to give myself, what I want my kid to give themselves or what yeah. I want to give my kid, that thing that I'm like, I really wish I could be this for my kid, be that for yourself. That's yeah. radical role modelling. Be that for yourself and then and then you're role modelling that for your kid. That's how kids learn. Yeah, they get to witness it as it's happening, which is like 
Yeah, like that's part of the beauty, I think, like that they get to witness that. I love how you mentioned before when you're talking about you and your own daughter that at each age, it's like you show up in that age and, you, you know, you're doing it for the first time. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Because, yeah, like that really does happen. You feel like you nail, you feel like you just nail one age, but it's this, it's this ever-evolving, ever-changing fucking landscape that you've like, you know, always got to adapt to. Yeah, and one of the things that I always talk to parents about in the in the early early days of working together is to you know to tell me a story of what life was like for them at the same age that their children are at the time when we start working together. That's a bit a bit different for working with parents of babies or or parents who are pregnant because we can't actually remember, but we can get a good idea by looking at our earliest memories about what life was like for us and and when people tell the story of you know how their parents were with them at that time and how their parents supported them when they were upset or how their parents helped them manage the transition to adolescence or puberty or Mm. you know whatever whatever it is that's coming up um, people always seem to have those aha moments in that time about oh I see why you know why this because we we have those times where we're like why is this such a big thing for me oh, because, you know, no one was ever able to support me through that. And now I'm expected to support my child through something that That I wasn't supported through at their age. Oh, shit. And that's when that part of us, like, literally arcs up and has a meltdown and says, it's not fair. I never got this. I really, my my values and my instinct is to give this to you, my darling child. (laughs) But I was never given it. I never got it. So, so there's, you know, I'm, I'm feeling injustice about that and that makes me angry or sad or, you know, infuriated or anxious or any number of feelings that come up. Holy Um, fucking shitballs. That's, yeah. And I think that our, you know, this idea that our kids are holding up a mirror for us, this one is a really big one for me and, and it's one that I try and think about in my own parenting you know, my, what our kids need from us at, at different stages, if we're not able to provide that for them because of some ingrained core belief or some relational pattern or some shame spiral or some um, anxiety or whatever it is that's going on for us, then they will use their behaviour to hold up a mirror to say, look at this part of yourself, mum, because I need you to manage this part of yourself so that you can support me through the next stage of my life. So it might be, you know, that that you you really you had a big struggle with starting school when you were a kid, and you felt like no one was supporting you, and you felt really alone, and you felt sort of forced into it, and like you know nobody nobody was holding you, and you were just out of control, and you didn't know you know what was happening or what to do. And so at that time, as a as a five year old starting school, you made up a story about yourself that you weren't good enough for school and because you couldn't you know like socially you couldn't handle it so you made up a a, an idea that you were dumb or that you were stupid or whatever it is and that core belief has carried on with you throughout your life you know you might have done some work on it but it still lives in there it's embedded in there that you know I'm not I'm I'm not good enough or I'm dumb or you know I'm not smart or whatever it is and then your child comes up against you know, they're four and, you know, they're going to be coming into coming into that starting school time soon. And so, you know, their behaviour might start to go really off track and they might start, like, what, what their behaviour is doing in that moment is bringing up that part of yourself. So bringing up that inner child, that piece of your, of your inner world. And so they might start, you know, they might start screaming at you are you so stupid you're the stupidest mum in the world or you know whatever it is and you know seems a bit coincidental at the time (laughs) but that's the words they're using but in you know in my mind what they're doing is they're reminding you they're holding up a mirror to say you this is something you really need to work on before I start school mum because you otherwise you might find yourself unable to support me in my transition to school because no one supported you and you might start to put a lot of pressure on me to do well academically 
or you might, you know, things that aren't necessarily parenting from your values, but they'll be that scared part of yourself that says, I need to be smart when it, actually it wasn't about being smart at all. It was about the, that was the story you made up for yourself. It was just about, you know, being socially ready to, to start school and nobody gave you a coherent story about why that might be hard, but you made one up about, you know, something negative about yourself. So I really do believe that our kids, like they're constantly doing that. They're when, when their behaviours are big, when they seem like they're going off track, there's, there's a message in that for us. Mm. What, you know, what, which piece are they asking us to work on so that we can support their needs in the next part of their, in the next part of their journey? So are you telling me that my son continually argues with me because I was never allowed to have an opinion as a child? Maybe. <laughs> Were you never allowed to have an opinion? I don't know. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm just thinking like that's, you know, one thing that really like it feels like, and you know, it could be a whole range of things really, but I feel also like, just um, be because he's five. Yeah. But he's, you know, and he's always been so, I often say to myself, one day I'm going to be so glad that he's so strong in his opinion and he's so, yeah. you know, um, independent thinker and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> yeah. That's a fair, and I'm like, can't you just do what I ask you to do? You know, like it's always like a, yeah. So yeah, so it could be, or um, I guess the other thing to say is that sometimes kids are just kids. Yeah, you know, might not always be holding up a mirror. Yeah, yeah. I think you know when certainly when they're when they're um. So that's well. When, let's unpack that. How do you know the difference? Yeah. Like that's something really good to understand. How do you? How can we? recognize the difference between when it's part of our kids personality like who they are yeah. um, because yeah. I, I don't and I'm sure you would be the same and lots of other mothers and fathers listening you know you really want your kid to be who they are authentically like I really want my kid to be able to be who he is and so yeah. how do you recognize the difference between what's showing up so that's, that's something that you need to work on in yourself or something else is showing up that's just through and through part of them and who they are and their personality and we need to accept that part of them so that's a really interesting sorry, question yeah. that's a big because, question. no no don't be sorry I'm just thinking about those two bits and you know what was coming up for me when you said the part about you know how do we know if it's something that we need to work on in ourselves it always is it doesn't and if you're mistaken oh well you work on yourself and that's really terrible and, yeah, you know, yeah. something yeah. good comes out of that yeah and that the the part about accepting them for who they are I think again is like always it's never a mistake to do that yeah. to accept them as who they are I think it, it can be really obvious when parents come to me usually parents come to me and they're like fucking help, help I'm me. this like you know, my child is, I don't know what the hell is going on with them right now. They're, you know, they used to be like this and now <laughs> they're like this and they're, you know, they're just pushing the boundaries. They're just pushing the buttons. They're like, you know, they're, they're trying to manipulate me. They're, they're doing all this stuff to me is often how we feel in that moment. Yeah. And when parents come to me with that, then it's a bit more obviously them being triggered or activated and and their their child holding up holding up that mirror because yeah. their child had, had like a radical radical behavior change like that yeah. you know suddenly they're um they're just they you know I used to be able to control them and now they're really arcing up or you know it used to be easier to yeah. kind of you know go manipulate along this winding path but now suddenly they're um they're they're going a bit wild yeah um, and I think that can be a real indicator that um they're, they're trying to show you something yeah so I think that all behaviour is communication. Yeah. And all kids are trying to do is communicate their needs in an unsophisticated and childlike way. Yeah. And so sometimes that need is just to accept me as I am. Yeah. Which, again, is is on the parent, right? It's not that yeah. the kid, you know, it, this is how I am. <laughs> and um, how can I work work on my inner stuff myself so that I can accept my child for who they are because they're just a kid and yeah. um, they're just going through a phase. So, so many phases. So many so phases. Many phases. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things. Oh, it's just a phase. <laughs> just a phase. Just write just it out. Phase. Put the seatbelt on, Nikki. Buckle up. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. 
so I think I feel like it's it's I feel like it's pretty bloody obvious when when you need help with it yeah and sometimes that help will be just around how can I you know let go of this control or or understand this new phase or you know it always used to be like this and now it's like this and sometimes all you need in that moment is a yeah it is yeah you know, it's not a problem. Your kid's not yeah. a problem. You're not a problem. Oh, we're not a problem. Yeah. It just, it's, this is just, you know, how they're expressing themselves right now. This is just how they're communicating their needs by this behavior. So what are they trying to say when they're behaving like this? You know, what's your toddler trying to tell you when they're like throwing themselves on the, on the floor and, you know, screaming about how you cut their sandwich wrong what are they trying to <laughs> what are they trying to say they don't care about the sandwich <laughs> they're just trying to say listen to me just listen to me support me validate what I've got to say and you know as they get older it gets more complicated what they're trying to say yeah. uh, but they still you know like it, even as adults we often don't have language for how yeah. we're feeling and communicating our needs so you know the expectation that kids will be able to do that in a coherent way be able to just come to us and tell us what they need it's you know it's not really possible so yeah being able to to yeah sometimes it's as easy as just giving yourself permission to like to go with that and to not have to control them and to figure out what you know what what it is they're trying to communicate yeah and to really realize it's so like having these conversations is so good because you're like, oh yeah, of course. But then when you're in the moment, it's a bit different. But really realizing as well that because sometimes the story I tell myself is that this behavior will be, you know, for the rest of his life or is gonna be the yeah. new normal. And you know, that's that's the yeah. that's the danger that we kind of get into, isn't it? We we think that that's we think that that's going to be the new normal when really it is just a phase. And I guess you know we mentioned a little bit. I guess that's the the awesome thing about after you've had the first one, the second, you know, second child or third child, you're kind of like, oh, it really is just a phase where, you know, because yeah. you know, like you said, you're, I, I've never parented an eight-year-old before. I've never parented for myself. I've never parented a five-year-old before. So the story you can tell yourself and the fear that, no, this is how it's going to mm. be now is, is can have quite a hold over you, right? Yeah, it can. And often that fear comes from anxiety and our own sense of um, of not feeling worthy, or yeah. our own sense of shame around what if yeah. my kid turns out like this? Yeah. When really, when we unpack that and say, well, what if they do? Yeah. You know, it's often for parents, it's it's how it's reflecting on them that's that's yeah. that's what makes it hard, rather than the experience, what, what their child's experience is we can lead ourselves to believe that it's about our child's experience in some of those moments but um but often it's you know it's it's our own it's our own stuff about you know how we how we're viewed by other parents or you know how we yeah how we're viewed in the world around around being parents because it's the you know it's the biggest and hardest job you know of all jobs <laughs> and we all want to get it right oh so badly and we, yeah, we come into it with so much, so much stuff. Yeah. That it's, yeah, that's, you know, makes the job even, even harder and more complicated. And yeah, I think it's, um, if we can sometimes try and find the fun. <laughs> that was like, I just did a complete turnaround then. No, <laughs> let's talk about that. Cause I really, um, that's something that I probably actually struggle with. And I wrote down here, finding more of the joy in parenting and finding more of the joy in in little moments with my son because sometimes it can feel like especially as a single mom you know I think I don't know whether I put more pressure on myself because you don't want to be judged but yeah you can feel like you really want your child to behave because you don't want that stigma and so yeah it can feel like I don't there's a resistance to being as carefree as I'd like to be sometimes in the moment because you don't want to be wild or, you know, anyone to think that your child's wild. So how do you, how do you, you know, without, without saying like, (laughs) without isolating yourself from society and all the people in it, (laughs) how do you comfortably, well, a little bit of discomfort, obviously, 
embrace a little bit more joy and fun and play in in parenting I think yeah I think you have to um you have to sit with that discomfort and and wonder about that and explore that discomfort with curiosity and you know what is it that's holding me back from what is it that's making me say no so much Mm. what is it that stops me from you know just spontaneously picking my kid up in the street and turning them into an airplane or because we all have those those blocks and and yeah it's it's mostly societal messaging that that puts those blocks there rather than us not being fun people or um you know mums being so boring and serious all the time so i think wondering about those things in the moment you know what's stopping me from doing this right now what would what what's the worst thing that could happen and then experimenting with that and seeing okay what what would happen if i do it anyway and trying to you know to challenge yourself in that way like even if it's once a day where you make a commitment to say you know i'm going to i'm going to challenge myself to do something silly and spontaneous with my child once a day and that could literally be a moment of like doing a silly dance in the middle of the shopping center or you know whatever it is and then approach the feelings that come up mm. of embarrassment and shame and everyone's looking at me and everyone thinks I'm irresponsible and and often like it's depending on how old your kids are they will also think those things <laughs> I can't I say now but I know I'll die but I can't wait till I get to the age that I'm in like I'm an embarrassment to my kid and I'm like I remember very clearly and I like I now I love it. I remember very clearly like being on a holiday. I must have been like 14 and 15 and just sort of getting my period or whatever, or whatever age it was, I can't even remember. And dad like announcing and getting the tampons off the shelf and like holding them and announcing them and walking down the aisle. And I just wanted oh to like God. die. <laughs> like swallow me up and die. And now, like I fucking think he's the biggest legend. Like I love that. I love that he did that. And now I can look back and laugh about it, you know. But in yeah. those moments when you're in it, you're like, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. How could you do that to me? This is the worst. And now moment I kind of, of look life. forward to. Yeah, I look forward to doing that to my son. But I know he's gonna be mortified. Is that like, am I sadistic? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe a little. No. <laughs> Um, I think, oh, like, honestly, those moments like that with your dad, in that moment, uh, like when we have those moments in our childhood and our adolescence, I think that those are the things, those are the moments that hold us back from being the silly mum because those are the bits in us that are, that, are, that are triggered with the idea of embarrassing our kid in the way that we were embarrassed yeah. or embarrassing ourselves in the way that we have been previously embarrassed. I mean, now you could easily just, like, throw tampons around the shop without like yeah. any embarrassment but you know as a 12 year old you yeah. cannot no. <laughs> and so you know I think that there's there's a lot in there's a lot in that and <laughs> you're just particularly your desire to like do it to him I mean, you know, <laughs> I probably, you'll be like what is that you're holding mum <laughs> I will never know what a tampon is until I'm until I have a, a partner that I live with <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's the point of, you know, that's where, where the, the whole dad joke thing comes from, isn't it? Is yeah. that idea that, like, you know, we all do it. Yeah. Like, when we're kids, we think it's so ridiculous and mortifying. But then as adults, we, yeah. we do it. You know, we do the silly and annoying things that our, that our, parents, that our parents did. Because we know as adults that we're, it's okay. You know, like you say, you, you love your dad and you love that about him. And, you know, that's part of your connection that you have with him. Yeah. And so you know that even if it's, if it's something for your son in the moment, that he'll recover. Yes. As long as you don't take it too far. No, 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 I would never. <laughs> but I think like something really important about that idea of joy is that, you know, lots of the, lots of the parents that I work with who are second time parents, which is a lot because often first-time parents either don't think they need this work or don't even, aren't even looking for it or even exploring the idea of, of it. But the sec- second-time parents often will tell me that the reason that they want my support is that they, like, all of the joy was taken out of the postpartum period for them mm. because they were so worried about doing it right or they were so worried about the little things that they're that their babies were doing or they were so worried about that that they they felt like 
they were the only ones struggling and everyone else was like doing an amazing job because of social media and um, you know what gets shared in the in the CAFs mother's group about how great everyone else's baby is sleeping <laughs> except for yours mm. which is just people lying um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it I was actually really lucky to have a really good mother's group and I'm you know I'm still yeah. friends with a couple of them who were really who were really real that's awesome. and really yeah. yeah like I really um I still yeah and I think I was really lucky in that sense yeah and I think it's so important to reduce all of the the you know, all of the stuff that comes with that that first six to twelve months to to have a really amazing support network um, and particularly of other mums, but only if they are approaching it with honesty and you know able to look at themselves and because otherwise it's it's you know it can be really disastrous yeah. for mums to to really like they reach out and try and connect with with other mums and then they're, yeah they're, they're shamed even on their journey into motherhood about the way that they're choosing to mother or about you know or about you know their, their baby or lots of mums leave leave their mother's group feeling inadequate you know I'm I must be doing something wrong because yeah. They've all got it so easy and they all go home and have the same feelings, but they're just don't, not sharing it with each other. It's that genuine and authentic sharing. I think that's yeah. really important Yeah. for new mums. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the support you offer and like the roots of motherhood, how if we want to work with you, how we can work with you and the offerings that you've got so we can dive into some of this stuff and unpack some of this so we can be the best parents that we want to, that we wish to be. So my main offerings are two different packages and one of them is for people who are expecting a baby or you can even start before, you, before you're pregnant if you're um, really keen to like get into the juicy action. And so that's a, a package where I support you with, um, with these ideas and this work around uncovering the mother within, the parent that you, that you truly want to be, that parent who parents from her values. And we do some work during pregnancy at, for, with couples or with, with mums on their own, depending on what's needed. And then there's uh, postpartum support across the first year of baby's life for in that package. And the postpartum support is, so it's available online or face-to-face. When it's online, it's in more of a uh, kind of coaching and, and support because I can't be there with you. But in the, um, in the, the face-to-face model, it's, it's home visits and um, I provide what I call active support. So as a, um, as a trained postpartum doula, I, like, it's really important to me that new parents are supported in a, in a practical way at the same time as supporting them in, a, in an emotional way. So um, they're long, long sessions. They're not like an hour counselling session. They're, you know, they're three, three or so hours and I support parents with whatever needs doing in those, in those moments um, as well as always with this undercurrent of exploring what's, you know, what's coming up for you, what are you triggered by, which is really protective for new mums' mental health. Um, reduces the risk of postnatal depression and anxiety. I also offer breast, breastfeeding support as a trained breastfeeding counsellor. So increasing those, uh, increasing the, the possibility of meeting your, your breastfeeding goals and really coming back to that focus on how you bond with your baby and the relationship that you have with your baby in that time while at the same time reducing those, those, um, those big things that mums experience in the early months like isolation and exhaustion and um, conflicting advice and and confusion so that's uh, one of the ways that I work with people is like across that span so they can come to me that some come to me in pregnancy and some I get calls you know when they've got a month a month old baby saying oh <laughs> I realize I need help um, and so we can start anytime in that in that first year but that's the 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 kind of the under one kind of package and then the other work that I do is for parents of kids over one and that can be kids of any age and that's the um, the roots of parenting work so we start with a a private workshop for either a, a single parent or a couple and then we work together for six months continuing to uncover what is you know what is underneath like those layers, peeling off those layers of that onion I was talking about and really exploring what, 
what's in those layers and trying to peel them back so that after that that time of support you're much closer to that instinctive instinctive parent that parent that you truly want to be and I also support people with in a kind of smaller shorter time span support people who are having difficult pregnancies so uh, experiencing pregnancy related illness like hyperemesis or pregnancy loss is another big one that I that I support lots of lots of mums after a after a pregnancy loss and then after baby's born with things like processing a birth story or um, uh, issues around birth trauma and that kind of thing. Yeah, wow. And your work's so important. I just really want to, as someone who's been through that, like I really want to speak to how important it is to get the support when you've had a baby. Like it's just so invaluable, you know, because we don't have the villages as much anymore and you can, you know, you can have the greatest. I had a really great, I have a beautiful supportive family. I had a beautiful mother's group, but I still really fucking struggled, (laughs) really struggled to process everything that was happening. Yeah. And I experienced some birth trauma as well. And I got to have a session with you and that gosh, helped me exponentially and just even processing that, that whole labor. (laughs) So I can't speak enough about the importance of getting that support and also, (laughs) I don't know, like if I was to speak to pregnant Nikki or, you know, pre-parenting Nikki who thought <laughs> who thought it would go down a certain way and it just it just really doesn't. It just really doesn't. Yeah. So it's not a, like it's not a luxury. It's not a luxury thing. It's it's no. a, it is going to improve your life, your partner's life, your family life, your just your whole um, transition into parenting because it's such a it is a magical time if you're supported the right way, you know, it is. A, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I just really. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's not only for you, for you as a parent and your partner and, and your baby, it's, you know, what you're actually doing is shifting, shifting states for, for generations to come. Like That's you, it. Like shifting generations. The amount of change that you can make in that, in that really special and magical time yeah, just by having the right support and exploring, exploring things in a, you know, in a really um, genuine and loving way. Yeah, can make such a huge difference for, you know, for, for eons. Yes, yes. And like you said, not just for you, like, because I think sometimes mums can be like, oh, I don't know whether I can afford this for me, but it's not actually, like you said, it is for you, but it's not. <laughs> it's for your baby. It's for your partner. It's for the household, like, because, because becoming a mum you realize you really realize you are the sun and everything else orbits around you <laughs> yeah. you know that's yeah, the bottom absolutely. line and so in order for you to be able to do that and be the biggest brightest sun invest in yourself in that way because it will yeah like you said pay you back in <laughs> in millions in my opinion yeah. yeah 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 I agree with that for sure thank you so much for chatting with me I bloody adore our conversations I love the work that you do. Thank you so much for who you are in the world and how you show up and and doing this really, really important work to support these future generations because it's, you know, as we change, they change and you make the world a better place, Emma Holdsworth. Oh, thank you. I love chatting with you too. It's always so much fun. Yeah. In a scary, deep kind of way. As always, thanks so much for listening today. And if anything here landed in your soul feels, please share with the people that you love because the more hearts and ears this gets into, the better. If you want more conversation like this, then head over to the Quintessential Being by Nikki Facebook or Instagram page. I would love to see you there. Till next time, big love. Mm